I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Hey, y'all. We finally got here. Listen, y'all. Listen, this episode was a challenge and not for any reason other than we were dropping like flies. (laughs) I got sick and then Hannah got sick. We kept having to push back recording. So we are here. We did not lie to you about the the topic this week. We we are doing Tennessee like we promised. And Tennessee Um, tried to kill us. It kind of (laughs) did. Tried to kill y'all. How did we get like taken out? I'm telling Um, you. It was wild. I don't know if y'all heard. I actually meant to bring this up before we started recording, but I think there was another school in Canada with um, another school where indigenous children, there was a mass grave of indigenous children, which is crazy. Um, Yeah. Oh, and I have a depressing correction. Oh, great. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Anne Frank did not die in Auschwitz. She died in Bergen-Belsen. <laughs> oh, no. So. That is, you know, I will say this though. I started, there's a, there's a fascinating, um, well, I don't know. Fascinating is not the right word, Gina. Geez. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. There yeah, is a Twitter account called Faces of Auschwitz and it tells yes, you little I biographies of the people who died there. And I spent, I just found it today. So I spent like half the afternoon reading it because it's fascinating. And it's almost always on the person pictured's birthday. So they'll be like today in 1911, you know, this baby sometimes was born and it's like, it's hard, but it also like 6 million is such an, it is dehumanizing numbers yes that's a good word for it seeing like the individual like these were people with families with you know we all took those glamour shots when we were two you know and just to see them and yeah it really humanizes the whole thing yeah there's also a faces of covid that i follow because my dad died of covid of course um and i love that because i think I don't think this country's ever cared at any number right. about COVID and how many deaths we had. And like, they, they certainly will not continue to care as the numbers continue to grow, but, right. um, but I, I love that, that someone is doing that. There are a lot of really good people in the COVID memorial movement who are doing a lot of things for that. So I'm all for that. Putting names to numbers right. is very right. important. Which is what we're trying to do with our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so our theme um for this week is the state of tennessee just know that i hate you (laughs) (laughs) um i think we were i don't know if we were necessarily going for mysteries out of this just good stories out of tennessee cemeteries Mm -hmm. so i believe i'm going first yes and i'm kicking things off with an unsolved mystery so y'all play the music imagine imagine that i'm robert stack and imagine we can afford the rights to that (laughs) (laughs) i know i love unsolved mysteries so much i'm such an unsolved mysteries Mm -hmm. fangirl yes i love it all right y'all know how this goes picture it memphis tennessee (laughs) may 1899 wealthy businessman jasper smith who's about 50 years old uh, lives in in midtown memphis leaves his home on madison avenue to go downtown for a night out 
his nieces who he lives with uh they bid him farewell and they have no idea that this is the last time they will ever see their uncle dead or alive jasper is such like a 1800s name i love too. the name jasper there used to be some show i watched on the disney channel that was like i don't remember the name of it but it was um sort of uh i don't know little house on the prairie slash Anne of green gables it was like one of those turn of the century kind of shows mm-hmm. and there was yeah. a boy on there named jasper i thought was so cute i uh, remember after we saw twilight together we kept making jasper <laughs> eyes at each other and that was really fun <laughs> Hey, Jack- Jackson Rathbone was hot. He was he really hot. hot in that he, he, movie. Was, he was he my is. favorite. <laughs> he just made a lot of very intense eye it movements was... and looks and stuff in that. He was acting with his eyeballs. And it was, <laughs> yeah. it was well, something. I mean, it's he didn't have much to work with. That character <laughs> wasn't really fleshed out. Exactly right. <laughs> All right. So back to Jasper of 120 years ago. Well, not really um (laughs) um i will say this okay as soon as you enter elmwood which is that's this y'all know by now this is like my (laughs) home cemetery um as soon as you enter elmwood really your eyes sort of are drawn to this huge monument um sort of to the right and it's a big monument there's a sculpture of a man on top of it and then there is a sculpture of a lion right in front of that um And the monument is for Jasper Smith. And while these are really sort of the first monuments that you notice as soon as you come into the cemetery, it's kind of funny to know that Jasper's not even buried there. So I kind of love that. That really the first thing you see is someone who's not even there. And I mean, it's a man and a lion. So it would be kind of hard to miss that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so Jasper Smith was a native of Pulaski, Tennessee, and then he moved to Memphis um, sometime in his 30s, and this was sometime around the 1870s. And when he moved to Memphis, he was kind of poor, but he started working for a widow named Mary Moore. Mary was about 10 years older than Jasper, and she was wealthy because she had inherited her husband's estate. Now he had died. Oh, 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 oh. (laughs) Um, She, yes. Okay. So he had died. Mary's uh, first husband had died under mysterious, mysterious circumstances. No one was really sure how he died. It was either homicide or suicide. Can I just say, I searched and searched and searched for murders in Memphis or around the Memphis area from about this time frame with a widow named Mary Moore. I found several. Oh, wow. And so I'm not sure which one was her husband and which case was hers. So I'm frustrated by this, but, and I know that's vague. I don't like the lack of research there, but that's all I know. Maybe they were all her. <laughs> Could have been, there's no telling. So Mary's sister and brother, Uh, They were fighting with her in a civil case over some land. And in the middle of all of that civil case stuff, her brother officially accuses her of murdering her husband. So Mary's arrested, charged with murder. But Jasper, who's been working for Mary, he's remained faithful to her. Um, I'm not sure if they marry before the trial, after the trial. I just know that he was by her side the whole time he was faithful to her um and he would visit her often and all of this now she ended up being acquitted 
So technically she didn't do it. Whether or not she did, I don't know. Um, but when she was done with that trial, when once that got past her, she made sure to change her will so that Jasper, her husband, now husband, not the dead one, the current husband, would <laughs> inherit her fortune um, and not her siblings because her <laughs> um, original will said that her fortune would go to her siblings. Well, nay, nay. After they accused her of murder, she was obviously like, no. She was like, bitch, you fuck y'all. Yes, <laughs> she kind of was. So then Mary dies of pneumonia in 1897. Aww. She was about 60 years old. And then two years later, Jasper would maybe join her in the afterlife. Ooh. So on Friday, this is where we get to the mystery. On Friday, May 26, 1899, Jasper, who, as I said, he's about 50-ish, um, he leaves his home on Madison Avenue, and he was living there with his nieces. He had two sisters and nieces. He said he was going to go out on the town just for a couple of hours and then come back. And this, the nieces, like this was a thing he did ever so often. So no big deal. Um, he had happened to mention to one of his nieces that he was carrying about like $60 on him, which is a good amount of money for back in those days. Like that's not anything to spit at. Um, so later that evening people see jasper around an area called whiskey shoot this is between main and front streets of downtown memphis and down whiskey shoot as it as you can imagine there are uh some bars and saloons some gambling halls he drank with two acquaintances george forrest and l.i jeter at a bar called the crystal palace which sounds so classy sounds like a sounds strip like club, a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know what, what me and Lori's thinking? club is going to be called. <laughs> I know <laughs> we're on the same wavelength, Anna, <laughs> for sure. Um, but anyway, so yeah, he drank with his friends and people knew that he was a drinker, but not a drunk. Like he would go out and have a drink, but he was not the kind of guy to just get plastered and, and, you know, go walk around downtown, you know, right. all messy. Um, and no one saw him after this. Um, his horse and his carriage were found at the corner of Poplar and Belvedere, which oh. is a little ways away. I was kind mm -hmm. of like, I mean, not that far away, but a little farther away than what I was thinking. Anyway, his nieces wake up the next morning and they realize that Jasper's not there. So they get worried. They waited a couple of more hours. He still doesn't show up. So they ask their neighbors for help. They're like, Hey, have y'all seen him? And they're like, no. And they kind of do a little search around town. They turn up nothing. By Monday, the nieces told his lawyers what was going on um, because he's wealthy. He just has lawyers. And so they contact yeah. the cops. Um, I think all of this happened on a Friday. It was either Friday or Saturday night. Friday, Friday night. He went missing on Friday night. Okay. So in newspapers, this is how they described Jasper. So I'm telling you this for one, in case you see him, you know, this will help you identify him. Assuming he's out there. <laughs> how old would he be now? 200? <laughs> <laughs> about, about. And, um, <laughs> but no, um, I just love the way newspapers describe things back in those days. Yeah. Uh, his frame was spare, his features thin, and he wore a scraggly gray mustache that drooped forlornly at the ends and was somewhat, somewhat inclined to circle in. He was of average height, but appeared shorter in stature, owing to a well-defined stoop of the shoulders. He cared nothing for his personal appearance and was shabby in dress. 
I'm trying to visualize <laughs> this mustache. Yeah. Like it comes around like this, maybe? Because it droops. I think so. Like, Drooped forlornly. That is. So it was like a Yosemite sand? Kind of, I think so, yes. I think okay. so. Except not as luxurious. Luxur- yes. Not as luxurious. Yes. Okay. So, like more of a rat tail. Okay. <laughs> and, then he's, and then he's kind of stooped. Kind of stooped and was shabby, dressed shabbily. He did okay. care nothing for his personal appearance. Okay. Um, I'm another- sensing a little judgment from this reporter, and I think they need to back <laughs> off a little bit. Yeah. They also said, and I quote, he was believed to be eccentric and for this reason was avoided rather than courted for social purposes. Uh, oh, I love this man. Like, this newspaper <laughs> is reading this man and like. Man, step off, Karen. <laughs> You're editorializing <laughs> on this victim, sir. I know. Um, they also did note, um, note, as I said earlier, that he he drank here and there, but he wasn't an alcoholic, but he also liked to go to horse races. So that's great. Okay. You said, ho- and I was like, wait, what? Horse. 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 I mean, um, the Crystal Palace. We don't know. I know. Now. That's true. Okay. So this ended mm. up becoming the largest mem- missing persons case in Memphis. Oh. Thousands of people began searching for Jasper. Um in the next couple of months um, after his disappearance, a piece uh, official thought they found his body in a river down in Mississippi, but they like dug up that body. It was not him. Um, rumors swirled around town that some of the men um, that there were a couple of men in town talking about the case and they knew that ha- what had happened. And that includes his friend, L.I. Jeter, who he went out drinking with. But Jeter had mysteriously just left for the Philippines. Hmm. You could hmm. just do that back in the day. You could. <laughs> I'm just going to another country. Fuck yes. off. <laughs> and another newspaper account, because I'm sorry, I love the way they write back then. Followers of the occult sciences stated <laughs> in regularity to dream about the case in the office of Jerome E. Richards, then chief of police, was daily visited by excited women who believed that the key to the mystery had been conveyed to them in their slumbers. Wow. They were oh. literally, they, they did take one woman seriously because she dreamed about him twice. Oh, oh. But I'm like, that just means she's thinking about it a lot, in my opinion. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not knocking psychics. Like, I believe hardcore. Well, psychics, and that was but... when they still had cocaine in the Coca-Cola. So I'm sure, sure they was. were having lots of dreams. So um, all of this, this biggest search ever in Memphis history, turns up nothing. And after seven years, he was legally declared dead. Now, Jasper's fortune, which was really mostly Mary's fortune, was Mm -hmm. set to go to Jasper's sisters and nieces. Uh, Mary's nieces filed a lawsuit saying they deserve that money and that Jasper's will was invalid. And they had a big court battle. It was dramatic. uh, But Jasper's family won. Good for them. Yes. Um, His $200,000 fortune, which if the internet makes me believe correctly, would be about $6.4 million today. Jesus. Went to his nieces and sisters. Did we investigate the nieces and the sisters? I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, God damn. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Jasper's sisters, Ruth and Eliza, they used some of that fortune they inherited to pay for the monuments in memory of Jasper. Oh, um, because his monument is, um, if I didn't say it already, his monuments are a cenotaph, which are monuments erected in memory of someone, not 
they don't mark someone's burial place because they're not buried there. Um, they also purchased two equally large monuments for themselves. Um, <laughs> they're just as tall as Jasper's. Um, and it features these women standing on top of the monuments. And from what I hear, it caused quite a stir when the monuments were erected because the ladies were older, but the statues on the uh, monuments are of much younger women. And I guess they thought you were (laughs) supposed to put your older looking self on there i don't know but jasper's not you're getting hot me (laughs) (laughs) right jasper's monument though is really pretty like i said it has him on top it has um and then it has um it has like sort of like a face but it looks like his younger face because his the statue up top has the mustache and then the face that's on like the bigger part of the monument um looks much younger there's no mustache and then i love the lion because it is separate it's a separate piece from that big tall one and it says i guard the memory of jasper smith and it's just Aww. so cool i that's love really it nice um so what happened to jasper no one knows what are um, the theories the here are the theories the prevailing theory is that while he was out drinking that night someone whether his friends or a just an unknown person robbed him knowing he was a wealthy businessman um murdered him and threw him into the mississippi river because the mississippi river is right there and that yeah. would not be the first body dumped into the mississippi right nor would it be the last right There are also theories that he ran away, Um, but he left everything, his money, um, his horse and carriage, you know, everything he owned was at home. So that doesn't seem likely. There are theories. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) I'm almost done. Um, There are theories that he was kidnapped for his fortune, but no one ever asked for a ransom. And of course, there are the theories that his family members, either the nieces, the sisters, some combination of both. Uh, may have mur- may have murdered him for his fortune but it took at least seven years for them to see any of that money and I don't know if they knew at some point you know maybe Mary's family would have come up and challenged that there was also the chance that Mary's family would have taken that money away I, I don't know but yeah. this is truly a Memphis unsolved mystery and no one knows whatever happened to Jasper Smith 120 something years later damn what was your question Luhu? no I was just going to give my uh my personal opinion you know i think he did i think he ran off with uh his little buddy to the philippines maybe he did it's not like he had you know yet he didn't care about the money it's not like he had a lot going for him you know the way people wrote about him i know obviously he wasn't he didn't have a lot of friends so maybe he was just like you know what fuck it i'm leaving and yeah i could let's (laughs) choose to believe that other than being brutally murdered for sixty dollars. I know, I know. I mean, of course, sixty dollars back then was more money. Right, I didn't do the, right. the thing, but the conversion still. But I don't know. I just um, I th- I think it's likely that that he was probably Memphis yeah. has, has kind of always had some violence to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um. Well, they my, didn't even necessarily need to know who he was for him to be the victim of a mugging no, no, no. and get dumped mm-hmm. in the river and. we all know once it goes to the river it's not coming out no no um and that's the thing too is you know they say he dressed shabbily i'm like if you didn't know him you may not know that he was wealthy but if he was out there 
blowing money maybe you saw right. that he i don't know um there's so bald. many unknowns there's so many unknowns in this case i just know that his monument's really lovely and of course we're going to have photos mm -hmm. um on yeah. our social channels but it's it's a really cool monument and i love that when you go into elmwood and you the first thing you really kind of lay your eyes on is for someone not even buried there that just yeah i love I like it. it i like it yeah all right. that's the story of jasper all right all right hannah's so. turn Mine is, let me get to the damn webpage. Okay, <laughs> there we are. So um, most of the story, um, aside from some up, like recent legal updates, are from this really cool website I found called the Malefactors Register, um, written by a dude named Mark Gribben. He's a professor and has done some other really cool things. So he wrote a really cool story about this, and... Um, he he hasn't updated his site in a little while so but i'm going to have some updates uh at the end of it so we are going to talk about a criminal who is described as well organized and extremely violent two of my favorite those aren't things good. well those <laughs> aren't two good things to be <laughs> let me tell you so Tony Carruthers was in prison in Tennessee in 1993, serving time for aggravated arson, aggravated assault and battery, and armed robbery. When he wrote, <laughs> he, he doesn't mess around, did he? I mean, you know, gold star, sir, gold star. <laughs> when he wrote to a friend that when he got out, he intended to, quote, make those streets pay me and pledge that. Quote, everything I do from now on will be well organized and extremely violent. Hence the title of the article on Mr. Gribble's page. So shortly before being paroled, Carruthers was transferred to the Mark Luttrell's uh, reception center, which I love when they name these prisons like they make them sound like an elementary school. Yeah. It's a mm -hmm. prison where he was assigned to work detail digging graves at a local <laughs> veteran's cemetery. This is when I like to remind everyone that slavery is illegal, except when you're in prison. Mm -hmm. Someday we'll do something about that. So one day, after burying a body, he remarked to a fellow inmate, that would be a good way, you know, to bury somebody if you're going to kill them. If you ain't got no body, you don't have a case. Carruthers plotted with a friend and fellow inmate, James Montgomery, an armed robber and violent felon to take over the streets of his neighborhood as the drug dealer-in-chief. To do so, he had to get rid of the current reigning drug dealer-in-chief, Marcello Anderson, and his main dealer, Andre, baby brother Johnson. <laughs> so Anderson was a good target. He wore a golden diamond ring more, worth more than two grand, which was a lot of money in 1993, and it sure is a shit a lot of money from Memphis. Mm -hmm. And was earning significant amounts of money dealing coke. Yeah. Upon his release from custody, Carruthers, who had allegedly had ties to the gangster disciples who are big in Memphis, and that's all I'll say about that, <laughs> made good on his promise and used his bright idea of burying his victims in a graveyard. Shortly after his release in 1993, he started dealing with uh marcello who is also called cello and baby brother a month later the inmate to whom he had shared his plans was released from prison and he kind of let 
cello and baby brother know hey um that guy that you're dealing coke with he is gonna bury a, a body after he kills them and they're like nah nah he's our friend it's fine it's fine <laughs> don't worry about it hindsight 2020 <laughs> right yeah so on February 23rd, 1994, Marcello borrowed a white Jeep Cherokee, the most 90s of vehicles, <laughs> from his cousin. And witnesses saw him and a 17-year-old riding around with another kid and then the other kid. And then they went into the basement of a house. You know how these things go. Then his mom came over. That he, God loved this man. He like goes into, and then at 8 a.m., then at 2 a.m., <laughs> and I'm like, bitch, no. Yeah. <laughs> so Carruthers and uh, James Montgomery, who was his, his buddy in prison, who tried to tell people that, hey, he's up to something, but they did not listen to him, took uh, Marcello, an associate of his, and his mom, Delois, D-E-L-O-I-S, Delois. Love it. I do too. Anderson to Rose Hill name. Cemetery in South Memphis, where the open grave of an elderly woman was waiting her for her funeral the next day. At the side of the grave, the three victims lay on the ground, their arms bound, and pleaded for their lives. Early in the morning, they found the Jeep Cherokee across the state line in Mississippi on fire. After that, a cousin of DeLois filed a missing persons report. So we've got, and it, if you're in Memphis, it is not uncommon for criminals to go to Mississippi and drop off it drop off cars. Oh yeah, and, and do all this other stuff. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's one thing I love. I shouldn't say this on a podcast that's going on as well, but living right <laughs> off of highway 55, so many people leave Memphis and they'll have police chases down 55 and they always come down yep. here to yep. County. Always, always. It's pretty yep. frequent. <laughs> yeah. So on March 3rd, 1994, about a week after the missing persons on, uh, the Lois and her son were, uh, filed the memphis police department went to the grave at rose hill cemetery tipped off by jonathan montgomery again the old prison mate um who was just like y'all i told you this man is killing people right. why he would along with him in the jeep cherokee i'm not sure maybe he was scared of him i don't know i've never been in a situation where somebody has asked me to commit a horrible crime so i don't know <laughs> So he, he directed <laughs> to uh, Rose Hill Cemetery, which is on our favorite street in Memphis, Elvis Presley Boulevard. <laughs> Let, can we all start singing the Rick Ross song now? <laughs> can we I will... just say, leaving my last, uh, on my first day at my previous job, which was on Elvis Presley Boulevard, what song came on the radio as I was leaving work on my first day? Elvis Presley Boulevard. It made <laughs> my life. Rick Go Ross ahead. forever. We will include the YouTube link to that video. Yes. Because yes, Sheena please. is familiar with that Dodge's <laughs> chicken. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> the casket of the woman who was buried there was exhumed, and the authorities discovered the bodies of the three victims buried beneath the casket under several inches of dirt and a piece of plywood. 
The body of Delois Anderson was lying on the bottom of the grave and the body is of the two male victims, one of whom her son and the other a 17 year old were lying on top of her. The hands of all three victims were bound behind their back. Frederick Tucker, the 17 year old who was not her son, his feet were also bound and his neck showed signs of bruising caused by a ligature. A oh. red sock was found around Delois Anderson's neck. Oh. Marcello Anderson was not wearing any jewelry and we talked about earlier he was very flashy he wore lots of rings and so on and so forth so based on the evidence they were alive when they were buried oh no that is awful the you were right this is i told you it was gonna suck oh they don't talk about cemeteries enough let me show you (laughs) I got you. You want a cemetery? I got a rock hard boner of a cemetery for you. (laughs) The pathologist testified that Delois Anderson died from asphyxia caused by several factors. The position of her head against her body, the dirt in her mouth and nose, and trauma from the weight on her body. So she was basically crushed and smothered to death. Oh, no. Frederick Tucker. terrible. mm Mm-hmm. The 17-year-old boy had received a gunshot wound to the chest, and it would not have been fatal had he received medical care. Mm. He also suffered injuries from blunt force trauma to his abdomen. I almost said abdomen. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) And head resulting in broken ribs, a fractured skull, and a ruptured liver. He testified that Tucker was shot and placed in the grave with a force of being force of compression from being buried produced other injuries along with the gunshot wound marcello anderson had been shot three times a contact wound to his forehead that was not severe which i don't know how you do that but good for him and then two shots to his neck one of which was also not serious however the gunshot causing a neck wound severed his spinal cord and he was paralyzed from the waist down also would not have been instantaneously fatal. He suffered blunt force trauma to his abdomen from compression. So not only Mm. were these people buried, they also had a casket put on top of them. Right. So those are not exactly light. Quick question. Go ahead. So was the old lady in the casket buried and then dude dug them up and put the bodies under? Or what? Um, the grave had already been buried because she was going to be buried the next day. So the night before her funeral, he put these bodies in her open grave. And then how when they, did they miss that? Like, well, did, did were they, they put the dirt on top of them? They did. He they put plywood and then dirt and then uh, okay, yeah. and then put the casket on top as if yeah, it was a normal because you're not going to check. No, mm-hmm. why would you? Why you would know, you? And they have to put all that equipment in there to lower it. Yeah, yeah, they so, do. I mean, they're not. Pay- it looks like there's dirt, and I mean, it doesn't say how long it took them to die. Um, but I don't imagine there was a lot of movement or sound right coming from it. Yeah. The medical examiner said that each victim was alive when buried. Mm, James Montgomery then fled to Milwaukee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and because this just gets more and more depressing he was captured and returned to memphis and while awaiting trial he hung himself oh that's awful so carruthers went on trial um 
1996, uh, he had six court-appointed defense attorneys. Um, and all six succeeded in being relieved after complaining of non-cooperation, harassments, and threats from Carruthers. The judge ordered him to act as his own attorney. <laughs> that was hilarious. Man, was this ordered. guy is a trip. And not Real in piece a good of way. work. Yeah, so yeah. work. he was sentenced uh, to death. I don't believe in the death penalty personally. Um, but, you know, that's not for me to say. Um, I have also not buried three people alive. So yeah. there is that. Um, but again, I am even for the worst of the worst. I'm not a huge fan of, you know, the death penalty in general. Um, so, but he did recently appeal to get off of death row. And let me pull up that article um, because it was very recent. So, um, yes, this was in February of 2020. Um, he is asking basically for relief based on the fact that he had to represent himself. Um Yane, you know that's not fair it's like but babe you had six attorneys yeah you right. had six chances dumbass I, um so in 2020 he did say hey you know i i feel like this wasn't fair and yada yada he it says if executed he would be the first person in nearly a century to be put to death after being forced to represent himself at trial hmm. I'm going to take issue with the being forced because again, right. you don't burn through six attorneys. Yeah. You could have one attorney that sucked. And yeah. I, I will say that you had one public defender who maybe wasn't doing a great job. Oh, sure. Sure. Six public defenders. Yeah. I know yeah. public defenders and I'm yeah. just me too. I don't buy it, my friend. So no. again, I mean, anti-death penalty, but I don't believe that he was, he says force because the judge was like, right. I'm over this. Um, but again, you know, dude, you chased off six attorneys. Yeah. Um, so also in 2020, um, Carruthers was one of nine death row inmates who asked the state court to stop scheduling executions. Um, that is still being, uh, you know, adjudicated as it were. Um, so nothing yet. A, a death date has not been set for Mr. Carruthers. Um, and I, I should say that the young man who hung himself, Jonathan uh, Montgomery, was uh Carruthers partner's brother mm -hmm. so James Montgomery was his partner in crime his uh, uh prison buddy who he told his business to and then Jonathan Montgomery was James's brother and he's the one who snitched ran to Milwaukee and then when he came back um hung himself unfortunately um and you know and I try to imagine in a situation where your brother's in deep shit and you you're part of that and you know how that must feel and you know i'm going to go out on a limb here and say that maybe these kids weren't parented well um 
you know, if you have one murder in the family, but two, mm, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, who's to know what their family life was like, and who's to know if he didn't have family members and friends say, "No, oh, you're going to get your brother killed, or you're going to get your brother killed," and he just didn't feel that there was any way out. So, you know, on top of the three people who were buried alive in a fucking cemetery, there was this poor young man who also mm-hmm. hung himself um, for whatever his reasons were. So that is in Rose Hill. Um, they don't give the name of the poor woman who was buried on top of this shit oh, show yeah. and then had to be exhumed. Um, and also maybe why we shouldn't have prisoners digging graves. Uh-huh. Right? It's not going to give them any good ideas. No. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So that was that epically depressing fucking shit show. Do you know, I hate to ask, were the people who were buried and therefore killed in the cemetery were they then buried there later as I, an actual burial i do not know um that's a I lot tried to, to do yeah i tried to do some looking as to where their final resting places were and really couldn't find anything substantive yeah. mm-hmm. and you know after i had my loved one if i had my loved one buried alive in a cemetery i would probably cremate them and keep them exactly with me yeah, the rest I, was of my say, life. I don't think i could do it i mean I because think I could do that think about that like yeah. unless Mm-mm. jonathan montgomery had said something they never would have found these people never no that is never. and it makes it makes you think how many missing people are buried underneath somebody yeah right right maybe so Maybe I so. mean, Andre Chikatilo, the Russian serial mm-hmm. murderer. Yeah. He did that a time or two as well, where because who notices a freshly dug grave at a graveyard? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people make those jokes on social media, like, hey, yeah. you know, a great place to, to hide a body. And I'm like, stop giving people ideas. Apparently somebody beat y'all to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say this. I, I did just Google um, Rose Hill Cemetery because I was thinking it was a different one than what it is. But I found this really sad story from tw- 2007 um, about how it's abandoned. And um, to quote Action News 5, the word neglected doesn't even begin to describe what was found at Rose Hill Cemetery in South Memphis. Um, they actually couldn't go to certain parts of it because it was so overgrown. There were snakes and all that kind of stuff. Um, snakes, rats, empty beer cans, dead do- dog carcasses, overturned headstones, abandoned purses, and evidence of prostitution. That shit is cursed. Yeah. So that makes me really sad. Like someone needs to go clean that up because I don't care what happened there. The people buried there need some dignity and respect to their final resting place. Yeah. And I, and I think where the cemetery is Uh means it's probably predominantly an African-American cemetery. It is. Um, And it's, yeah, people don't want to go help anyone. Well, it's, well, it's america but i'm well, saying too and too you got to look yeah. at if that is being used as a place of prostitution it's probably also being used for other shady business so yeah. anyone who came in there and cleaned it up might not get the reception they were hoping for that's true too <laughs> it, 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 i'm not saying go get shot by a drug dealer yeah <laughs> but i'm also saying memphis has drug dealers that shoot people uh, yeah, you know, and it's, this is, 
you know, speaking of deaths in cemeteries, <laughs> my mother literally called me today to tell about a story. And by the time this comes out, I'm sure everyone will have heard about it. But in Alabama, um, like sort of down below Montgomery, like yesterday, today, it was some time this week. Um, they were having a funeral for a man at a cemetery in Alabama and someone came through driving a car and did a drive-by shooting and killed at least one guy who was at the Holy funeral. Oh my and then three other people were injured. And I'm like, can we not do terrible things in cemeteries? Like that's sacred ground. Like, yeah, right. Well, they're murdering a, people. Um, there them. was a movie. How old was I? I was too young to be watching it, but whatever. <laughs> um, called Colors which was um it had um oh and i was just talking about lonesome dove earlier today you were one of the old men from that um robert duvall there he is had robert (laughs) duvall in it um i read your mind the ugly pen which sean penn's ugly too but chris there it is the the chubby pin the chubby pin um they're (laughs) in it and it's like gangs in la and like the whole thing and there was a drive-by shooting at a like a gang member's funeral in that movie Mm -hmm. so those things happen stay out of gangs kids yeah i'm telling you good job hannah all right i told y'all it was gonna be fucking dark yes (laughs) Well, okay, Lori, I'll lighten it up a little bit because Thank you. surprise, you're getting a two for one with Lori this week. Um, so the original story I was planning on covering isn't very long. Um, it's actually, I don't know if it's true. It's just a legend. Um, you know, so, some of the people mentioned were uh, real people that lived at this time. So I picked two because you know what? I want to do my original one. So you're getting two for one with Lori this week. Whatever, whatever. We do what we want. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to start with the one that is short, but I couldn't let go of it because it just, it fascinated me. And I wanted to, to share it with y'all. The tale of Nocatula and Conestoga. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I had to write that phonetically. <laughs> uh Nocatula was the daughter of a Cherokee chief named Atakulakula, who did exist. He is the one person I was able to confirm existed, and a white woman whose name I could not find. Um, <laughs> she's a white lady. Yeah, just some white lady, um, European <laughs> white lady. She had been widowed when her first husband was killed during the siege of Fort Loudon in 1760. And initially she and her son were taken into the tribe as slaves, Mm. but you know, as the story goes, she assimilated and fell in love with chief Atacolacola and they wound up getting married in a, um, uh, Cherokee ceremony. So she assimilated into the, the tribe and became one with the group, um, within a few years of the marriage, no catula was born. She was the pride of and joy of her parents and the tribe. And as she grew up, many young braves sought to win her hand. The mm. most persistent was Mocking Crow. Um, and according to my main source article, he was, quote, given to outbursts of rage when thwarted in his advances to Nocatula, end quote. Uh-oh. Yeah. That does not sound good. So he was your typical alpha male, you know, 
don't do it, girl. <laughs> right, don't right. do it, girl. You exactly. in danger. Yes. Yeah, you, Molly, you're in danger, girl. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> following the Battle of King's Mountain in 1780, Chief Atacalacala came across a severely injured soldier. He brought the soldier back to his village and asked Nocatula to nurse the young man back to health. And as these stories often go, the young um, native, yes, the young Native <laughs> American princess fell in love with the soldier. They were married, and he was given the name Conestoga, which means the oak in Cherokee. Oh, that's and pretty. it's also a type of wagon. I think. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Okay, hold on, let me get. So, of course, you know, Mocking Crow was not happy about this. And shortly after the wedding, he attacked Conestoga, stabbed him in the neck. Aye. And this, this was while Conestoga was out with some of the young braves hunting. Um, upon receiving the news of her husband's attack, Nocatula raced to where he had been stabbed. And she was begging him to live and repeatedly crying out, I cannot live without you. Um, just very heartbroken as he lay there dying next to her. She took the knife that was beside him and stabbed herself in the heart. No. Oh, God. No. Yes. So she fell down next to him. And even though he was close to death, uh, Conestoga used the last of his strength to wrap his arms around her body. And the, the two of them died arm in arm. Thanks, Lori. Now I'm going to cry. Well, it gets, it gets, it's sweet. Okay. It gets okay. Sweet. Okay. So when she, when the chief arrived, he demanded that the couple be buried right where they had fallen. Um, and typically they would have moved them to a more suitable burial place. Um, he, he decided to place a hackberry seed in Nocatula's hand and an acorn in Conestoga's hand. And they were buried right where they fell. The following spring, a hackberry and oak sapling had sprouted from the graves, and that was viewed as a good omen by the tribe. I'm oh. going to squall. Keep going. Oh, yes. So as, oh as, my t- God. as the years went on, the tr- trees grew together. Like they were, uh, their branches oh. intertwined, and they were protected by the tribe for, for many, many years. Uh, oh. Later on, Tennessee Wesleyan University was built in that same area where uh, the trees stood. And for 85 years, the college took care of those trees. Um, In 1945, unfortunately, the hackberry tree became diseased um, and had to be removed. After the hackberry was removed, the oak began to wither and it was dead within five years. Um, and there was no explanation as to what was causing the oak to die. I'm going to ball my eyes out. Yes. Oh God. This pl- is warming my cold, dead heart. I know. So <laughs> a plaque was erected uh, by where the trees had stood, sharing the story of the young couple. And then in the early 2000s, Arlene Everett Chambers, who was a member of the Tennessee Wesleyan University class of 1963, commissioned a bronze sculpture of Nocatula and Conestoga to oh. be placed on the site where the two trees once stood. Um, the statues were sculpted by Marie Barbera, an artist known for her Native American art, and they were dedicated on October 14th, 2006. And they are located right where the trees once stood. 
Um, and it's the statues are beautiful. Uh, Nocatula is like doing this dance with her arms out, and Conestoga is on his knee, reaching out to her. Aww. And they are, I, I've got a picture, um, and they are just beautiful. And you know, it's, it's a sweet story. And, you know, yes, there are no records to tell me for sure that this happened, but it's a story that's been shared, uh, for years by this university. It's in Athens, Tennessee. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's a, a no uh, like some of the dorms on campus are called no So the, the school's really bought into this legend. Yeah. And, and again, these are, um, you know, it's your, your kind of Romeo and Juliet type Aww. story, Aww. you know, two except lovers. for they weren't 13. Well, but yeah, so again, there wasn't a lot to it, but it was such a sweet story and the statues yeah. are beautiful, um, you know, and it honors, the the Cherokee tribes that that lived in the area at the time. So I wanted to share that. I thought it was sweet. And now, um, I, and now I know why you needed to know the word assimilate. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> I was like, I was sitting there like, what is this word? Uh, thank yep. you, Facebook chat. Um, so now I'm going to go into my second story on another famous Tennessee legend, but there are records for him, Casey Jones, and oh, yeah. no, not the the hockey mask guy from the Ninja Turtles, the, <laughs> the real Casey Jones. Uh, so Casey was born John Luther Jones on March fourteenth, eighteen sixty three, in Missouri. His family soon moved to the town of Casey, Kentucky, which is where he got his nickname. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. So. Uh, he moved from there to Jackson, Tennessee, which is about 50 miles east of Memphis in 18, 1886 uh, and married a young woman named Janie Brady, uh, whose mom ran the boarding house that he stayed at. Um, together, they had three children, Charles, Helen, and John Lloyd Jr., who was also known as Casey. And by all accounts, they were a very happy family. Um, in fact, Janie wore black every day following her husband's death and never remarried. Oh, wow. Um, and he was only 36 when this, this incident happened and he lost his life. So Boy. he lived a long time uh, after he died. Uh, so Casey, who is legendary, a railroad man, um, began his career as a brakeman before he moved his way up to engineer, which was his lifelong goal um, in February of 1891. He was best known for two things, his distinctive train whistle technique that was often compared to the sound of a whippoorwill and for his punctuality. He was so prompt that it was said that you could set your watch by his arrival times. Hmm. Um, and and he, Hannah, this is for you during the Ooh. summer of uh, during the summer of 1893, Casey and his wife temporarily moved to Chicago so Yay. he could engineer shuttles taking people to and from the World's Fair. Um, and this it all first, comes back to Chicago, right? And this was his, <laughs> so he had previously just hauled freight um, on the trains, but this was his first time hauling people, and you know he really enjoyed the experience, and so he uh, he kind of when he came back wanted to to move actual. Uh, cars you know of people I don't know what the, the <laughs> best way to uh 
to say it. So yeah. you wanted to people move. <laughs> you wanted to move the people instead of uh, the products. Um, in 1895, he saved a little girl who had frozen in fear on the tracks by reaching out and pulling her off the rails. So like he ran to the very front because she was playing on the tracks with a group of friends and he grabbed her before the train could hit her and oh, wow. got her out of the way. Um, in addition to his heroism, he was known for his risky behavior behind the engine. Uh, during his career, he received nine citations and was suspended <laughs> for a total of 145 days. Oy. However, in the year leading up to his death, he had no recorded citations. Um, so he took risks. He drove fast, but it was pretty well known among engineers at the time that the repercussions for being late were much worse than what you would get for driving too fast. Gotcha. So it was, you got to be on time. You got to be on time. Seems like a uh, safe system. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, Casey wanted to move up in seniority and his speedy and prompt arrivals were the way he was going to get there. Um, so in February of 1900, Jones and his family moved to Memphis, and he began a regular route running passengers from Memphis to Canton, Mississippi, as a part of a four-train run that began in Chicago and ended in New Orleans. Uh, so the trip that made him a folk hero, a legend of small screen and radio, mm -hmm. uh, began in the very early morning hours of April 30th, 1900. Uh, filling in for an engineer that had called in sick, Casey departed Memphis at 12.50 a.m., 75 minutes behind schedule due to the train being late coming into Memphis. Uh, you know, Casey had his mind set. They were going to make up that lost time. By the time they, they arrived to their stop in Grenada, Mississippi, he had made up 55 of those 75 minutes. He drives wow. like I do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it was, and now it was raining but steam engines ran really well on wet rails um mm. so that may have played a role in it and he continued to make up that time throughout the night and he felt confident they would arrive in canton at the scheduled arrival time of 405 a.m so now we get to the the incident vaughn at uh, the vaughn mississippi station which was the next stop on his route was backed up with three different trains um the, the rail workers were struggling to move them to get them off the main track where his train would come through. They were able to move all but four of the cars before the air brakes broke and they could not move the last four cars off the track. Uh, Jones was unaware that this issue was happening and he was going 75 miles an hour uh -oh. on wet tracks. Uh -oh. um, In a train. Yes. So the flag man at the Vaughn station dropped torpedoes on the track. And these are these little cartridges that make a loud explosive noise when they're driven over as a warning that, hey, you need to slow down. Something's up. Mm -hmm. um, they were only two minutes behind schedule when they came upon the station. And Casey's fireman, uh, a man named Sim Webb, saw the lanterns of the caboose that was still on the tracks and heard the explosion of the torpedoes and, you know, said, shouted, you know, we, there's, there's a train on the tracks. Casey ordered Sim to jump from the train. Oh, wow. So he was like, jump, Sim, jump. And Casey hit the air brakes to make an emergency stop. 
Somehow he was able to reduce the train's speed from 75 miles per hour to 35 miles per hour before it hit that first car. God damn. It rammed through three and a half freight cars of hay, corn, and timber before it went off the tracks. Eesh. His heroic efforts to slow the train are believed to be the reason there were no passenger fatalities during the incident except for one, his own. Oh. Hmm. Um, wow. His watch stopped the moment the train hit the first car at 3.52 a.m. And there's uh, the legend of Casey Jones. There's a popular um, note that when his body was pulled from the wreckage, he was still holding the whistle cord and the brake. So in oh, one wow. hand, yes. So his body was taken home to Jackson, Tennessee, where he was buried in the Mount Calvary Cemetery. His funeral mass was attended by hundreds of railroad workers from around the region. His wife did receive $3,000 in life insurance from the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen and the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers. Um, she would sue the Illinois Central Railroad in a wrongful death suit, and she was awarded um twenty six hundred dollars and you know some change uh and so you know i love the inflation rate conversions <laughs> i wasn't able to find a calculation for that far back the closest year i could get a conversion for was 1914 so this twenty six hundred dollars and some chains in 1914 would amount to a little more than seventy one thousand dollars today hmm. Which is good, but not great for the life of a man whose actions potentially save the railroad from a significant number of lawsuits right. or what or whatever they called lawsuits in 1900. Um, because but would it have been an issue if he hadn't been going 75 to begin with? I don't think so, because I, there were no speed limits. You know, it's just. Yeah. And and again, he's because he didn't jump off the train and save himself right all those people and if you look like i know uh, wikipedia has a list of like the injuries that were sustained right and it was just bumps and scrapes that is all that happened to the people on the the train um so for a number of years his grave was marked by a wooden cross but in 1947 two out-of-town railroad enthusiasts donated a stone in his honor it reads quote to the memory of the locomotive engineer whose name is casey jones became a part of the american folklore and the american language this memorial erected in 1948 to perpetuate the legend of american railroading and the man whose name became its symbol of daring and romance end quote no so in pop culture casey jones was made famous by the ballad of casey jones uh that was written by a fellow rail worker named wallace sanders as a tribute to jones the song and others referencing the event of his death have been recorded numerous times by artists such as johnny cash the -hmm. grateful dead and chris christopherson just to name a few um, there was also a television show. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but my dad watched it when he was a kid. So when I told him <laughs> that I was going to be uh, sharing Casey Jones's story, he's like, oh, I used to watch that. And then he started singing the theme song. Uh, <laughs> so uh, shout out to dad for remembering his childhood. Uh, also, Sheena, he said 
the show he would watch first was Sheena of the Jungle, which is why oh, he yeah. always he always asks me when I talk about you, Sheena of the Jungle, and I have to correct <laughs> him and say, no, Sheena is a punk rocker. That's right. <laughs> uh, but but yes, yeah, so so those were the two shows he watched as a kid. Um, so the Casey Jones homestead in Jackson, Tennessee, is now a part of the Casey Jones Village and Railroad Museum, where there are a number of exhibits dedicated to his life and the crash. And there is a replica of the engine he drove most frequently. Oh, wow. Oh, and since we love the ghosties, there are those who believe that the ghost of Casey Jones haunts the abandoned stations and tracks in small towns between Memphis and Jackson, Mississippi. And if you listen closely, you can hear his distinctive train whistle in the distance. Oh, man, y'all, let's go ride us some rails. But at the end, the end. <laughs> oh, man, yes. Okay, I this is the first that. time I've heard of him. That's really, yeah. I, I, well, I pass by that Casey, all the Casey Jones signs right? when you go through Jack. I always see them, and I'm like, I never I stop by there and just see what it is. Well, you know. see, you see, like they called it uh, Cannonball Run. I think is what they referred to his route and like the type of engine he that I have was, heard of. Yeah. yeah. So if you and it's even driving south from Memphis to Jackson, Mississippi, you know, they have signage where the accident happened since that's oh, kind of on your way. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the the brown road yeah. signs telling you that the yeah. the Casey Jones whatever in in that part of mississippi hmm. i didn't really look up any information about that yeah. because he's so synonymous with jackson tennessee and there is yeah. that huge museum there mm-hmm. um, they used to have thomas the train there i don't know if they still do and every um, time i drive through that part of mississippi i just kind of black out well it's just there's <laughs> it's nothing it's there the could most... be a purple gorilla on the side of the road <laughs> yeah i wouldn't it's, know it's the most boring you know three it and is. a half hours literally Memphis time stops like you feel like you're in a, like a time i drove at christmas i drove a 13 hour straight to my parents house in biloxi and back to chicago from biloxi mm-hmm. and every single time like even going through illinois you know it's mostly farmland but you would find an interesting farmhouse a porn store uh <laughs> billboard yep a porn store off the highway yep. um you know but that i swear to god between memphis and jackson is just like a vortex yeah mm-hmm. like it feels like you've been on the road for 10 hours and you look and it's been 30 minutes and you're yep. just like i'm gonna die here <laughs> another another one of those places is uh when you're going to florida like um, when we go see my in-laws outside pensacola you have to take um 45 south and when you hit Alabama, it turns into two lanes. Oh, God. Yep. And it's like, it feels like it takes 10 hours. And it's it's not that far. But I every time we go down, I have to drive it. Because that's like the one thing Adam can't handle is getting stuck behind people on that highway. Yeah. yeah. And it is, I mean, the, at least 55, you can pass. Right. You got yeah. the four-lane highway. But man, it, it's i mean and there's only a couple of cities you hit on your way down to jackson so yeah mm-hmm. well that's like the like 49 from hattiesburg to the coast is mm-hmm. like the only reason that doesn't bother me is because i'm usually going 90 through there <laughs> <laughs> it's like i'm either at the very end of my trip or i'm at the very beginning and i'm just like let's 
fucking go. Get me out of here. (laughs) Get me there. (laughs) Awesome. Yay. Well, hey. This was a interesting. Yes. All right, Tennessee. I'll keep part of you. Because yeah. I'm telling you, just, just not the Carruthers. <laughs> let me tell you, no, because when I was like, because y'all know I changed my mind on this topic like mm-hmm. 20,000 times. And that's why I'd like, I just said, it's fucking dark. It was like yeah. the only, because I was like, if I say it out loud, I'm going to change my mind again. I'm like, no, we're doing this one. Strap but, down your titties. This exactly. Is <laughs> um, and next episode is going to be celebs and that's not going to be any less wild so <laughs> strap yeah. down for that one too yeah. i'm excited about that one yeah. that was going to be cemetery fun. grave a cemetery celebrity graves are interesting yes yeah so all righty right. we will see y'all next week um oh wait Lori, you have to tell yes. us where they can find Shout us out. and you all that find, stuff yes you can find us on social media we're at facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can send us an email to cemetery pod at gmail.com leave us a review we would love to hear from you yes and we thank everyone who's listening yes um and has been listening and um now I have to go find that Rick Ross video. And <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll post it to our socials. This is a yes. Rick Ross appreciation uh, podcast. Yes, yes for sure. <laughs> okay, well, um, right. awesome. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.